What up, though, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Every Black Man Has a Story on the Black Prospector Podcast. Thank you for joining me today, and we're going to jump into an interview, part three of the interview that I had with my uncle, because, again, every black man has a story, and he has a good one for you today that we're going to look at. But first, let's do some housekeeping. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Check out the YouTube channel, like and subscribe to YouTube channel, Black Prospector. And of course, you can follow me on Black Prospector on Instagram as well. I think I set up a Twitter. I'm not even sure. I can't remember. I'm, you know, I'm old school. I can't keep up with all of these social media. So if anybody wants to be a social media expert for me, I would greatly appreciate that. You can email me at blackprospector at gmail.com. But Back to the lecture at hand, as Dr. Dre said. All right. So actually Snoop said that, but I'm sure it was probably written by someone else. But um, part three of the interview with my Uncle Isaiah. And so today we're going to look at his time in school. And one of the things, again, the main reason I've just so passionate about doing this is because we can look at the stories in our own family and walk through history. Everyone wants to get all up in arms about critical race theory being taught. And, you know, again, I'm so glad homeschooling the kids. I don't have a dog in this fight. I could care less what you teach in school, but I know what I'm teaching mine. And so you have a chance. I don't care whether your kids go to government school or not. I really hope you're making the effort of having them talk to their relatives. And even if you are a non-black person listening to this, I hope that you do the same thing. Because if you're a person who says, oh, you know, uh, perhaps you are a, what do we call it? A woke white person these days. Well, if you are, would you have your kids go back and talk to your parents, their grandparents, obviously, about what life was like, perhaps in the South or perhaps even in the North? Would you have your kids learn how did they act? Because odds are they grew up in an all white neighborhood. And when they grew up in that all white neighborhood, what was it like when the first black neighbor moved into the neighborhood? What did the other neighbors say? Would you be willing to have those conversations? I often find that, well, so many of our, I guess we'll say, our woke white friends don't seem to be willing to have that conversation. The race discussions only want to take place in a vacuum, a vacuum that really is everybody else, but we're not like that or our family isn't like that. Well, let's go talk to your parents and find out. And if your grandparents are still alive, let's go ahead and have a conversation with them as well. Because that's one question I would love to ask. What did they say about the school in the neighborhood the first time maybe one or two black students started coming to that school? What did the teachers say? What did the neighbors talk about at the PTA? And that's what we're going to look at today when my uncle, he and my mom, they were the first to go to an integrated school in Alabama. Now, I will say when I got a little bit older, my mother told me stories about growing up and the school that she had to go to. The school was an all black school and she talked about having the raggedy buses that they had to take and always having hand me down books, which ironically hit me that in the 70s and 80s when I was in the Detroit public school, it didn't dawn on me that we always had books that were run down and hand me down as well. I remember our social studies book and our spelling book. They were books that when we looked in there, the covers might be coming off. You know how it was. You had these stack of books at the beginning of the year. And you always wanted to run and go grab the book that looked like it had the newest cover. 
you didn't want to get the book later on down the line that was, you know, the main hardcover was about to come off the binding. But yet you looked out and you opened it up and there might be two, three, four names of students that had those books before we ever got to use those books. And here's the key. We weren't allowed to write in the books. So who were the students that were allowed to write in the books then? It definitely wasn't us. So I guess I can even say I experienced a little bit of this difference going back even into the 1970s and 1980s. But my mother talked about having to take those just kind of the, the nasty looking buses to school. And then the white kids would pass them while they're walking to the bus would pass them in brand new shiny buses. And then she talked about when they did get a chance to go to an integrated school. And I'm going to try to find the picture because I took a net, took a shot of the school um, that, and it has a plaque down there in Alabama to this day that it was, it, now it's an historic landmark. And that is absolutely fantastic. And I can look, I don't have to read about the Little Rock Nine. I can go read about my own mother and talk to my own uncle that were involved with integrating the first school down south. And she talks about getting an opportunity to go to a brand new school. And so you're going to hear my uncle talk a little bit about that today. He, he also mentions that, you know, they sent the smartest students to the school first. Isn't it amazing? We still talk to this day about having to be twice as good to make it against our white counterparts. And many even contested or, or will continue. This is why black folks, especially black men, die even sooner in general than the general population because of these little added stressors in there. We can see in this case, it started a whole lot sooner or started a whole lot. This is not something that happens later in life. It happened to them even when they were younger. What did his parents tell him about race? And certainly he ends up, I ask him, what is the greatest lesson that he learned from his dad? And then I asked him what was the greatest lesson that he taught his sons. You might be interested at the answer. And the other big question, how in the world did his dad make it with 11 kids? Now, one thing we did get into, and there's actually, uh, I'm going to leave a link to the uh, video that we did one time, uh, me and the other black castaways, where we talked about so-called interracial relationships and some of the problems that go on with that. And so my uncle goes into the white girls and he mentions that, well, you know what would happen to you if you got out of line. And so I went and looked up and these are just some estimates that they have. The number of lynchings that took place in Alabama were recorded at 361. And of course, they actually feel it may have been even more than that. Because the report is definitely, this report that was around 2015 turned out that there were more than they thought. Mississippi, 654. Georgia, 589. Louisiana, 549. Arkansas, 592. Alabama, 361. Texas, 335. Florida, 311. It's funny that no one views Florida. We had to get, I had to be older to view Florida almost like a southern state. It's like Florida, Florida escaped the racist label that's given to the South because there's been just a concerted effort with Disney World to view Florida as this tremendous melting pot. I mean, you have the Cubans down there. You have many other immigrant populations down there. You have Disney World. Everyone goes down there and have fun. 
But as you're going to see in a later interview that we have coming up with my friend Dana, Florida was just as racist as any other state down there in the South. Tennessee, 223. And the list goes on and on, but I'll just stop there. So when my uncle says, well, we kind of thought we knew what happened to you if, you know, you messed around with the white girls. I'm sure Emmett Teal was a lesson that was probably talked about in black homes at the time. Not only that, if you look at the history of most race riots, so-called race riots that happened in the U.S., it seems that a vast majority of them were sparked from the accusation that a black man touched a white woman in some way, shape, or form. What is ironic is that today, many of the white men in the so-called manosphere are now upset that they are now losing their jobs, that they can now be arrested, that something can happen to them for the very accusation that another white woman can make about them touching her. And to that, I'll just say, hmm, yeah, how does it feel now? Because at least you aren't being lynched and losing your life yet. So on that note, let's begin with another episode of Every Black Man Has a Story with my uncle Isaiah, part three. Thank you for joining. They, the year, I think it's the next year after I graduated, or that same year, they started uh, integrating schools. Mm-hmm. But uh, they had to, they was forced to integrate them. Mm-hmm. But I think that was in 60, uh, 64. So it might have been the end of six, of what I'm trying to say, of that school year of 64 that I, uh, that they integrated schools. Mm-hmm. But I had already graduated. Wow. And when you say force, was it was there any problem integrating schools down there like we saw in, in Little Rock, Arkansas? Or you, do you mean force as a nationally or did they have to force it right there where you live? Uh, I think they passed the integration uh, law uh, during that time and uh, they had to integrate those schools. Mm. It wasn't... Uh, First day, I was told, because I wasn't here, mm-hmm. but uh, I was told that they, they sent the smartest students over first, mm. that first year, and then after that, they end up with, uh, you know, integrating them all the, you know, all the way. Mm. Do you remember having any white friends back then at that time? Any white kids that were, were, you know, your age that you could hang around or that you ran into? Not really. That I can remember. And, and but, being, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. But I mean, uh, it was a, it was a guy lived, uh, Land came in connected to ours behind us. Now, uh, 
those boys uh, was the only ones that I ever seen because uh, he had a, uh, that guy had a, a tractor and uh, we got him to uh, do a lot of, of uh, hauling wood and all for us. Mm. The, the heat grip. So that was the only problem. I mean, did I seen some white kids? Mm. Mm. What did your parents teach you about race back then? I mean, I know, you know, certainly maybe up north where historically black and white had, uh, they were separated more in terms of where they lived in cities. But with you all being in a rural area, you know, as you seem to note, you all were separated a bit. So what did your parents really teach you about race and obviously the Ku Klux Klan, et cetera? Then uh, blacks lived in white areas. What I'm trying to say is uh, if if, if you, uh, it was whites all around us, Mm. but they didn't associate with us, Mm. but they was all, uh, you know, all around us. Because, uh, you know, on a farm, you've got acres and acres of land, you know, uh, around. And I think my father was uh, in the rent, rent uh, I think, 20-some acres. So, you know, that was a house. Uh, it wasn't that many houses. And then, uh, as of later years, uh, a guy bought a piece of land right across the the road from us, a white guy, uh, and build a house. So, but you knew knew where your place was. Oh, (laughs) okay, what do you mean by that? So people who, if they don't understand, what do you mean when you say that? Well, I mean, uh, with all the stuff going on, you know, you didn't, you didn't talk to no white girls, no matter how pretty they might have seen or something. You didn't, you kept your, I say, uh, in your place. Mm-hmm. What would now, happen if you didn't? I don't know, because I never. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I'm assuming there was a lot of people that died, but it, it, to me, I don't know because it's TV makes a whole lot of difference. But uh seems like more people dying today than died back there then. Hmm. That's my thing, uh, what I'm trying to say is, but I don't know for, for sure because, you know, uh, they wasn't keeping up with things. Hmm. Yeah, because if something happened, how I many? I guess how would you find out outside of the newspaper, uh, or or word of mouth? Someone yep. had to tell you. <laughs> yep, that was the only way. Mm. Oh, you didn't know. Mm. Mm. Well, so in being down there in Alabama, so close to Montgomery, you know what? What did you think growing up? Especially, I mean, you hear you were a young man, and you hear about these folks, Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King. I mean, what what did you think about them at the time? How much did you hear about them at the time? 
Not much, because be fair, I think uh, it was, I was about 15 before I ever owned the TV, so. Mm. And the radio, uh, we had the radio, but uh, that was in Dad's room. <laughs> and uh, when WLAC, Nashville, Tennessee came on, that was one station we could pick up. Uh, he cut it off. Yeah, because uh, he was a preacher, and that he was playing those, uh, I call them rock and roll songs back right. then. So <laughs> he didn't want to, you couldn't listen to him mm. unless you listened to him until he came home or something, you know. <laughs> and, and that we did. We would turn the radio off the minute he, he would uh, be coming up the, the road or something. <laughs> we'd turn the TV, I mean, the radio off. So Yeah, I was going to say, he couldn't sneak home like parents can nowadays. You got to come up the road, and so you all could see or hear when he coming up the road, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, what was the greatest lesson that you learned from your dad looking back? That really now being 74, it's like, yeah, dad told me that, or I, I'm glad I learned that from dad. Well, the main thing I learned is, is paying your bills. Mm. Uh, uh, and I've kept that to this day. He taught us that if you owed somebody, you paid somebody. If you borrowed some money, you paid them back. And uh, if that was the main thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, keeping good credit. Now, I've got, I've got good credit. I've had good credit ever since I've been working. Mm -hmm. I've maintained good credit. Although good credit doesn't mean anything to, uh, to, to, to black folks even today. Mm. What I mean by that is uh, I had, uh, I got a credit score of over 800. Mm. And I was denied uh, credit three times this year. Mm. This year, because I wanted to consolidate my bills mm -hmm. but they wouldn't even loan me the money although I had a credit score of over 800 mm. never been late to my knowledge on any of my bills mm. but they still won't loan me the money wow wow <laughs> or if they gonna loan you some money it's that ridiculous interest rate, yes. and I refuse to pay. All right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, I know you have two sons, so your father taught you that lesson. What lesson have you tried to teach your sons? 
most of all, to pay your bills, even though both of them have filed bankruptcy. In the last 10 years, both of them have filed bankruptcy because they won't listen. When a person says it ain't but $25 a month, well, when you get $25 a month here, there, over there, over there, you're out hundreds of dollars a month. Mm. And I, I always told them, sit down, pick up your bills, and see if you can afford But uh, 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 this and that. But uh, they won't do that. Mm. Mm. Do you think it's just too much temptation out here? I mean, I know... Uh, I look and told my kids just I noticed the difference in my life where I, you know, when I came up there, I didn't have a cell phone bill. I didn't have a, a cable bill until a little bit later. It's like, you know, now people pay you. You got apps that charge you two or three dollars monthly. And it's like you said, you have all of these things nickel and diamond you basically. Uh, do you feel it's just too much temptation that makes it hard for them to listen or? Or, you know, it's kind of just how people are nowadays. I think it's basically how people are because uh, I know, well, I think I know, but I don't know. But uh, <laughs> uh, people don't take the time to sit down and figure up your bills mm. and see if you can afford something. They uh, go back to the same thing. It's a, if it ain't but $25 a month, you can afford that. But you might not can afford it mm -hmm. if you figure up your bills. Mm. You might be an already $25 and $35, uh, $50 a month until you done got everything you can get. Mm. And then can't pay. Mm -hmm. That's wise advice. That's wise advice. But let me ask this to go back on your father and, I, and I'll ask it a different way because I might get a different answer. That's what your father tried to teach you. Now, what did you learn from your dad that he never said it, but just you being a young man watching him, you learn? I, I can't come up with an answer for that, okay. right? Probably was paying the bills. <laughs> uh, I know that. What I'm trying to say is the paying the bills was one thing, uh, one of the most important things that he he taught us. Mm. Now, I'm only going to keep you a few more minutes because this, this man, you, <laughs> I'm so thankful for this. I am so thankful. Um, knowing that you come from a large family, um, and again, I know I'm, I'm always all about fatherhood. That's been something I've always been passionate about. How do you think your dad made it with so many kids? Do you look back now that you're older? Cause you know, when we're kids, we think, oh, daddy know everything. Daddy can do it all. Do you ever look, how did your father make it with 11 kids? I don't know, <laughs> be honest with you. <laughs> because, well, I guess, uh, we raised hogs, chickens, cows. So we had the hogs we killed, 
we put them in the uh, uh, the ham shows and stuff. We put them in the uh, the uh, salt and cured them. Uh, the chickens, we would go out there in the yard and kill a chicken, have them for dinner. The eggs we had, because it was a bunch of chickens, we didn't, we didn't kill them, but just the younger chickens and uh, a few old hens that wasn't laying no more. Mm. We canned our, most of our food, and the later years, I saved uh, when we got electricity, then uh, we was able to get a freezer, and we put food in the freezer. Put, uh, you know, uh, hams, chicken, and he hunted. And when hunting season come in, he hunted a lot. Kill our food that way. Rabbits, squirrels, uh, quails. That's how I guess how uh, he made it. Well, let me ask then, you. I'm sorry, go ahead. And then when, what I'm trying to say is when cotton time come, you know, uh, you could get, I don't know how much, because I never had to, but the, the Ford in it, I never sold none. So I don't know how much money it, uh, he got up for a bale of cotton. So. Mm. But that's why he paid his rent and all that stuff, so. Yeah, and, and when you said you picked 200 pounds, was that in one day? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Now, you know, people nowadays, and I'm, I'm said it myself, you know, especially black folks, we often say, you know, I can't afford to have any kids. How do you think your mom and dad, why do you think they had so many kids knowing how hard life was physically back then? Well, I don't think they meant to have as many kids as they did, but mm -hmm. uh, the protection you have now, uh, the, the, the peel and all that stuff for the women and all, mm -hmm. they didn't have that stuff then. Mm, that makes sense, that makes sense. And I definitely don't want to leave your mom out. Um, are there any lessons that you learned from your mom?